You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Brandon Lee Gowden. What's up, BLG? Stats, I'm going to start the podcast here by shocking people. Big surprise. Ooh. Top of the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Well, I think listeners might know that I've been a little too hard on someone. And someone this past weekend for the Super Bowl had an amazing accomplishment. And I think it's only right that we kind of give this person some credit here. So I actually asked you to cut a clip, Stats, and I want you to play that for us so we can all listen to this incredible achievement and then we can give this person a ton of credit. I'm going to take the Bengals to cover. So I'm going to take that plus four. I'm going to say it's a three-point game. Unfortunately, I will take the Bengals to lose. Rams edging them out 23 to 20. <laughs> you know, something tells me if the score had turned out differently, you wouldn't be calling for clips. You wouldn't be pointing back to the predictions. And I, I got to tell you, I think that's a little weak by you. I think it's incredibly strong by me because I knew how the game was going to play out. I called it correctly for the second year in a row stats. I think my nickname, everyone calls me BLG for my initials, obviously. I think I should be called Mr. Super Bowl because last year oh. I correctly predicted the Buccaneers would win the Super Bowl when everyone else was taking the Chiefs. And then this year I predicted the exact score of the Rams beating the Bengals. So everyone should really be praising me. I am the biggest achiever of this past weekend you're the biggest something i'll tell you that because <laughs> I, I correct me if i'm wrong i could have sworn someone that looked exactly like you said that the cowboys were going to win the super bowl was that like your doppelganger was that your evil twin what how do you explain that well you have to adjust stats and obviously i'm not going to predict the cowboys to win the super bowl leading up to the big game when they were not playing in it uh, and also, obviously, that was just a reverse jinx situation, whereas <laughs> the Buccaneers prediction last year and the Rams prediction this year were 100 percent not for any ulterior motives at all. Aha, uh -huh, I see. Well, congratulations to you. You did nail the score correctly. And I have no problem with you taking a victory lap because God knows when we're wrong about stuff, we hear about it. So congratulations, Mr. Super Bowl. And that is the literal only time I will ever refer to you by that nickname. But congratulations to you. Uh, before we get rolling, I want to remind everybody that we are brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at DraftKings. We've got some work to do today, BLG. We are going to 
give out our MVPs and LVPs from the Super Bowl because we're still decompressing after the final game of the year. And now that the Super Bowl is over, every every team now has a head coach. There are nine new head coaches in the league, and this is the home of the only 100% accurate power rankings. So we have power ranked the new head coaching hires. So we are going to get to all of that on today's show. But we always say, if you take the time to leave a review on the show, we will take the time to read it, rate, review, follow the SB Nation NFL show. And we have an interesting one today, BLG, because not only did we get a nice compliment, but we also have an overtime suggestion. What is it, Stats? Hit me. This one comes from Lord Hades, subject oddcast plus plus five stars. Love all the SB Nation NFL folks and the work you do. Suggestion for playoff overtime modifications that I came up with to make kickers great again. Instead of a coin toss, have progressively more difficult field goal attempts. Only kicker and holder for team A and receiver returner for team B in case of a missed short kick. If it's short, Team B returner can attempt to take the ball to the opposing team's end zone to kick off competition and make decision on overtime possession. Kicker and holder may attempt to stop the returner. Would love to get your thoughts on this fly, Eagles fly. So first of all, we appreciate the review and uh, really love, obviously, the Eagles fan support in there. Um, I got to say, Stats, I don't think overtime is broken as, as much as everyone else thinks. And while I definitely appreciate the thought in this uh, review and proposal, because I think, you know, there was some interesting, uh, like, it comes from an interesting place. It's not just what everyone is saying. I just don't think we need to do something dramatic. I like something that the Eagles actually proposed back in 2019. I think it was stats where the team that scores the most touchdowns in regulation gets the ball first. And now, of course, there are going to be situations where teams score the same amount because they're having the same score so that's not like the perfect fix but to me i would do it that first and then if that's even i would go to coin toss yeah i like the idea of basing possession on something that happened in the game whether you want to make that touchdowns whether you want to make that third down conversion percentage whatever thing you want to pick but if you base it on something that happened in the game rather than just an arbitrary game of chance essentially i think that people could get on board with that but i'm with you i have no problem with how overtime is set up i don't think you have to guarantee both sides of a possession because i think what you're doing there is like you're taking the drama away earlier in the overtime right because like on that first possession of overtime if you guarantee a possession you're kind of just sitting there like okay Like it does, it matters, but it doesn't really matter until the next team gets the ball. I don't like that. I think it's fine now. Go tell your defense to go make a stop. Most of the games by the, or half of the games, I should say, end with more than one possession in overtime. So people need to calm down with that stuff. I know this is a common trope and maybe too uh, overplayed a lot. Like, oh, these millennials, they're soft or whatever. (laughs) Uh, And I'm a millennial, so I feel like I'm allowed to say this, but like some of this, stuff about oh it's unfair it's like what are you talking about this is the nfl there's a lot of life is unfair there's a lot of unfair like this isn't little league everyone gets to touch the ball everyone you know gets a turn like what are we doing here and it's the same kind of stuff that we see to me when we get all the complaints about quote unquote the dumbest rule in sports which is the you know the defense uh 
when when the offense fumbles into the end zone, uh, it goes it changes possession. The other team gets the ball. Everyone complains about that, even though like the offense has a billion advantages in the NFL already, and then the defense gets like one thing that can actually help them, and it's we have to change it. We have to abolish it. It's just it's a little too much for me. It's too dramatic. So uh, it is what it is. Stats, but we, we almost had overtime, maybe in the Super Bowl, but we didn't. It didn't come to that. I thought it might, but ultimately Cincinnati could not protect Joe Burrow. If he had just one more second, he might have been able to find Jamar Chase, who mm. had blown the doors off Jalen Ramsey and was open down the field. Uh, so let's get to that then. And again, keep the ratings and the reviews coming. We do appreciate them. Super Bowl 56 is over. Congratulations, Rams. You are the world champions. We have MVPs and LVPs to give out. I have two MVPs. You have two LVPs. If you will allow me to go first, I will make the very obvious but yet very deserving choice. To me, it's clear. I think this person should have been the actual MVP of the game, and that is Aaron Donald. I know that we love offense, and I get it, and it's much, much easier to see the contributions of an offensive player than it is a defensive player. But I don't know how you cannot choose Aaron Donald in this game. He, first of all, Before any ball is snapped for Cincinnati, Aaron Donald influences every single play call, every one, because he's the guy that the Bengals are most concerned with. So whether, you know, before he does anything in the game, he already has had a massive, massive impact that's bigger than Cooper Cup, that's bigger than any wide receiver. But if you want to get into the actual counting stats and things like that, he killed it. Two sacks in the game, three quarterback hits, two tackles for loss. On the final drive on third and one, Aaron Donald is the guy that makes the stop on the run up the middle to set up the fourth down. And Aaron Donald is the guy that pressured Joe Burrow on fourth down to end the game. Also, third and three at the Rams 11. Guess what? Aaron Donald makes the sack, holds Cincinnati to a field goal. That's a four-point sack right there. In a game that was decided by three points, Aaron Donald made a four-point play. I know that Cooper Cup was great, and he was. But nobody was better for more of that game than Aaron Donald. And that's why he gets my MVP. A big reason why I took the Rams to beat the Bengals and then actually predicted the correct score, as mentioned earlier, was that the mismatch in the trenches was obviously a big deal. We knew everyone knew that Donald was going to be a big factor in this matchup. And guess what? He was. And I don't know about everyone else or you stats, but to me, I think the lasting image that I'll have from the Super Bowl was that third and one stop uh, on the Bengals final drive where I feel like like 99 out of 100 times maybe or at least a very high amount that running back against most defensive linemen or that like take any defensive lineman is getting the first down there and to set up some more context like Samaje P. Ryan who got the carry there is 5'11 240 like that's bigger (laughs) that's big for a running back and the way that like and I, I like so in the moment I was like how is Samaje P Ryan not getting that like he should have made more of an effort like that was my initial take on it as I'm watching the game live and I'm seeing the replay and I'm like oh he couldn't because it's Aaron Donald and he's so powerful that he didn't let his forward progress get there so to me um, that wasn't like underrated kind of almost incredible play just to be able to not let him get that first down there so I mean chalk pick in terms of um like yes it should be he should we all agree he should have probably won super bowl mvp it's dumb that the voting happens before the two-minute warning think about that what if cincinnati came back and won that's what i don't understand they're collecting paper slips like it's 1987 like you could vote on mvp 
after the game is over, have everybody send a text that mm-hmm. can automatically count the votes. Like, what are we doing, NFL? That's ridiculous. What did what would they have done if Cincinnati came back and won? Maybe they, I don't know, make him revote and hand it out. It's a great question. Um, should should get an answer to this stats. You should do some uh, investigative journalism and, and talk to the NFL. I uh, will talk to the, their PR. Get an answer. I will get an answer. You know what? I'm going to try and get an answer during this show. How about that? Okay. Wow. Big flex by stats as he goes for his phone and, and, and texts some uh, mystery person that we don't know. I will go to my MVP pick while he does that. And it's going to be the actual Super Super Bowl MVP Cooper Cup. I totally agree with you that he should not have been the Super Bowl MVP. Um, but, hey, I mean, he's the second, right? Like on the list. Like he was, he was pretty good, obviously. Um on the final drive that the Rams had, he had five receptions for 49 yards, including a first down and then the touchdown, obviously, to give them the go-ahead score. Cooper Cup was a weapon all year. Everyone knows that. I, I want to give – I hate to give RJ credit, but I think there's something to be said for, like, capping his season off and getting him recognition in this way. It's, it's not really how Super Bowl MVP obviously should work. It's not just, like, a season achievement at the end of the year. But – um in that vein, in this context, I think it obviously makes it more stomachable than Aaron Donald getting snubbed here. So Cooper Cup does reserve respect. Um, it, it, it's, it's a chalk pick by me to give the Super Bowl MVP the MVP point, but I think he does deserve a lot of credit, so I will give it to him. I love when, first of all, Sean McVay like finally realized, hey, Cooper Cup's on the team. And he mm. was just like, if I'm going down, I'm going down with my best players. And I have such respect for guys that can produce when the entire defense is set up to stop them from producing. And with no Higby and no Robert Woods and no Odell Beckham Jr., there was one target for the Rams, and it did not matter. Cooper Cup on that final drive had almost 60% of the Rams' yards. It was just drop back, put it in the hands of Stafford, and he's going to chuck it to Cup, and we're going to go down. And if we lose, we lose. And I love that because – there's no other way to go down in a big game than trying to get the ball to your best players. Like, why would you do anything else? And Sean McVay did his damnedest to screw that game up. I mean, uh. he, he, he did his best, like, like we said he would. But in the end, he had at least one drive where he snapped out of it, and that's all it took. I can't believe the commentators. I don't, I don't, I guess it was more so Collinsworth than Al Michaels, but like, they, they kept being like, Matthew Stafford has no one to work with here. It's incredible. What are you talking about? He's Cooper Cup still. Like, I don't care if like he has no one else outside of that. Like when you have Cooper Cup, like you can't say you have nothing to work with. Um, that was just a pet peeve of mine during the broadcast. But yeah, he was awesome. The okay. fourth down run, by the way, probably another underrated moment when he gets the ball there and, and converts for them. Just he was clutch. He absolutely was. Uh, my second MVP, and I'm going to go to the losing side because I think that sometimes we we just erase everything that other people did when they lose, like they didn't have a good game or a good performance. And I'm actually going to give it to the Cincinnati run defense. Mm. The longest run that they gave up all day was eight yards, 23 carries, 43 yards. That's less than two yards per carry. They consistently put the Rams in second and long and behind the chains to the point where if the Rams don't come back and win this game, Sean McVay is going to get crushed because Mm. of how good Cincinnati's run defense was. I mean, I don't know why Sean McVay kept running it. Cincinnati was all over them, and I think they deserve credit. They made the Rams one-dimensional, and then when OBJ went down, I think that was a huge part of the reason why 
I mean, both offenses, but LA's offense stalled for a huge part of this game because they couldn't get anything going with the run game. And since he was selling out to stop the pass. So I, I want to give credit to them because, you know, people just forget about stuff like that's an all time great Super Bowl performance against the run. Cooper Cup, more like Cooper Clutch is what I was <laughs> been waiting to say because I forgot to add that. Good um, thing you so, got it in there, though. Yeah, it's always worth it when I really like shoehorn a bad joke into the <laughs> podcast. Uh, stats, I like this pick by you. The more I think about it as you're talking about it, because while Sean McVay, spoiler alert, does not get an LVP point, I was really tempted to do it. I'm always tempted mm. to do it. This is like a stealth LVP point for Sean McVay. Yes. It's, like, it's in the subtext here. Um, and it, yeah, it's insane. And I, I hate it so much. And I said it you know, leading up to the Super Bowl on the podcast last week and then the round t- table episode we did with Pete. Like it just bothers me so much. And after the game, I fired off a tweet and got a lot of feedback on it. And I didn't want to read a lot of the replies because I know people weren't going to be able to handle it. But like, <laughs> I genuinely believe Sean McVay is one of the worst head coaches to ever win the Super Bowl when you're counting for actual Super Bowl performance, too. Wow. I genuinely believe that when you're like, so I'm not just saying like his entire career is one of the worst to win the Super Bowl, but like you actually look in the game. And I have a strong argument for this because he literally coached the worst scoring output in the Super Bowl history in his first one. And this one, he didn't coach like a great game by any means in this one. You just mentioned it. Like they kept running into a brick wall. And yes, were they able to overcome it? Sure. But like this is part of my argument against Sean McVay. It's not that he's the worst coach in the NFL. I've never said that. I think he just sucks relative to the hype he gets because if a better coaching performance in this game, when I mean close at the end, you don't, you might not need a, a penalty, which we'll get to uh, on third down to get you a fresh set, fresh set of downs at the end of the game and have this narrow margin and need to stave off a Bengals game winning drive. Like the Rams could have maybe blown the Bengals out if they had a, a better head coach in this game. And so I like your pick for the Bengals run defense because it was incredibly stout. And it was so obvious during the game, too. Like, I kept saying it out loud. I'm sure a lot of people did. It's like, why are the Rams running the ball? They're having success passing it. Why do they keep doing this? It was dumb. It worked out for them. But, like, they made things more difficult than it had to be on themselves. And Sean McVay was a lot, large part of that. And it just really bothers me that he has a Super Bowl because I just think he's so overrated. But here we are. That was your biggest concern going into the game. Is you just did not want the Rams to win because Sean McVay would then have a Super Bowl and uh, you'd never get people to listen to your Sean McVay hot take ever again. Okay, you have two LVP points. Who mm-hmm. gets your first LVP? So it's the obvious one. A lot of obvious ones in here, but how can you not give it to the Bengals offensive line? I mean, it's really bad. Everyone knew it was going to be a weak point, obviously, when you give up the nine sacks that they did in the divisional round. Um, I almost considered giving it to like Duke Tobin or the Bengals front office because you know, at, at some point, we know the Bengals offensive line is bad. And maybe you have to kind of go up higher than that and give blame to the people who assembled an offensive line this bad. And it's kind of funny because we were both like wrong and right about the Jamar Chase over uh, Penny Sewell pick at the same time. Like we were wrong in terms of, okay, Jamar Chase is an incredible talent. Obviously, the Bengals didn't make a mistake by drafting him. But the point of that was like, you need to fix your offensive line. <laughs> they weren't able to do that. And it really hurt them. It crushed them. Um, they didn't stand a chance on a lot of these drives because Joe, Joe Burrow was back there and you just kept getting sacked. 
And it's not even Joe Burrow is like a quarterback who holds onto the ball long. He's one of the quarterbacks in the league that gets the ball the quickest. At least I was looking at a PFF's time to throw data and he's at the top of the list in terms of shortest times to throw. So it's just like, it's, it's going to be the obvious thing all off season. The Bengals need to invest in their offensive line, but like they really do. <laughs> it's, it's very apparent. It was weird because nobody was wrong. Like, no one said they should draft Panay Sewell because they thought Jamar Chase was going to stink. Right. What they said was, it's not going to matter even if he's good because he's, Burrow's not going to have time to throw. Now, Burrow, to his credit, was able to overcome that for obviously most of the season. But, I mean, even if you look at that final play, Jamar Chase is open and mm -hmm. he, Burrow just didn't have enough time to get him the ball. And so it was a weird thing where, like, everybody was right, like you said, and everybody was wrong. Um, and look, maybe they, you know, they go into this season and they patch it up and they fix it, but we'll see, you know, this is my other point and, and people didn't like to hear this because nobody likes to hear this. Hmm. Cincinnati may never make another Super Bowl again. Joe Burrow sure. might never make Joe Burrow might have a better season next year and not make the Super Bowl. The AFC is loaded. It's absolutely loaded. And if you go back and look, I believe there are only three quarterbacks. I want to say that have lost their first Super Bowl appearance that have then gone on to win a Super Bowl. Usually, if you are a quarterback, you got to win your first Super Bowl when you get there or you don't win another one. And so, you know, I know that everyone likes to assume like, oh, they get some offensive line help and they'll be right back. Like, no, no, that is not guaranteed by any stretch. Not at all. Um, how many people probably thought the Panthers were going to be back when they lost, right. you know, to the Broncos? Like probably a decent amount. Oh, this team's still going to be good. Nope. Um, Cam Newton didn't even come close to, to reaching that height again. So, uh, I, you know, I think Burrow has a great career ahead of them, ahead of him. And I'm not saying I'm not comparing him to Cam Newton. I think he's, you know, a better talent, um, at least of what he's shown earlier on. I think there's a there's a pretty solid chance he can get back here, but it's not a guarantee. Like you're, you're pointing out, it's just you can't just assume that there's you can you cannot just pick up. This is the conversation that like RJ and I have had a lot. And with you about like the 49ers going into this year, it was like you can't necessarily just pick up from another season and like pick up back where you left off it's not that simple so you know they're going to get them offensive line help because they have to um but they better like they better right. actually do it like you literally have one job this offseason that's it one job fix the offensive line we'll see if they do it my lvp i only get one and i'm actually going to go to the winning side for this hmm. blg i'm going jalen ramsey i think jalen ramsey has skated by he's kind of garoppoloed his way through this wow. for some of the playoffs just think back to the game against tampa bay right they're up two scores the only way that the bucks get back in it is if they hit a long pass and what happens mike evans runs a go route one-on-one -on -one against jalen ramsey and dusts him and brady drops it in the bucket they get the 55-yard touchdown, and all of a sudden, holy crap, Tampa Bay's back in the game, and the Rams season may be over. Now, Matthew Stafford makes an incredible throw at the end of that game, so people just forget the fact that in one of the biggest spots of the season, the guy the Rams gave up the world to get and gave all this money to failed in a huge spot. Now we cut to the Super Bowl, and what is the game plan for Cincinnati? Well, they need to make big plays to Jamar Chase. First quarter, first quarter, BLG. Deep down the field, there's Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey one-on-one. -on -one. Granted, Chase made a good catch, but nonetheless, he caught the ball, 46 yards. The Higgins play, I'm not going to kill him for. Mm -hmm. Should have been a penalty. Like, it should have been a penalty, clear as day. If that penalty doesn't happen, maybe, maybe Ramsey picks it off, whatever. But there were other plays in the game. 
we've been talking about that final play that Burrow didn't have time. Well, Jamar Chase beat Jalen Ramsey again. Jalen Ramsey fell down. He's on the ground. Like, not only is he is he beat, he has no chance to make a tackle, even if a Chase catches the ball. Now, luckily, again, the ball didn't get thrown, so that play gets forgotten. But I don't I don't think Jalen Ramsey is the best corner in the game anymore, and I think he did not have a good playoffs at all, and no one's going to remember it because the Rams won. Do you think you have someone in mind for a better cornerback? And while well, I let you think of that, uh, in case you don't at the top of your mind, uh, I think this is a fair pick by you. I think part of this speaks to how hard it is, like in defensive Jalen Ramsey, just how hard it is to be a cornerback in the NFL, especially because how the rules are and how good some of these receivers are. I just don't know if there's truly such a thing as a total shutdown, lockdown guy like Darrell Rivas was once upon a time. Like, I just don't really think that's, that's like the fair expectation. Now, with that said, Ramsey kind of gets talked about in that conversation and obviously when you give up multiple first round picks like the rams did for him that's that is the expectation so i think you know when we're judging against expectation i think that's that's the criteria here and i i think you can make the case that yes like when like for he's obviously a really good cornerback he, you could make the case even with this game or whatever that he's he isn't the best cornerback in the nfl even if you don't think he is he's at, at the very least he's in that conversation that you're having about that spot so um i don't think it's totally unfair that you did this um, but who would you say is definitely better than him or could be better than him yeah i'm that's a fair question maybe jc jackson in new england was the first guy that popped into my head. I just think when it comes to corners, it's sort of like offensive linemen, right? Like reputation, I think, outlasts the actual reality on the field. And especially for positions where the goal is kind of to not be mentioned, you know, like a goal for a corner is when the guy you're guarding has no targets, right? Because that means you've totally shut them down. Well, then no one's going to notice or think of you and it's kind of the same way with the offensive line i just like in critical spots in this playoffs he's let them down like the entire reason to have jalen ramsey is so he can lock down mike evans and not allow that 55 yard touchdown and yet bam there no hesitation by the bucks right they went right at him and i just i don't know i i didn't think that he lived up to the hype my lvp final one of the season stats um i did consider giving myself an mvp point here since i am mr super bowl i didn't do it i'll probably do it next year at some point we'll see um i have to give an lvp point to a surprising candidate that has missed one the entire season this is like an upset that we haven't had this until now okay the refs the ref stats the refs oh no absolutely deserve an lvp point in this situation because you know, look, and I will admit here, it's kind of a funny thing when you talk about officiating in sports because you're never going to give them credit, right? Like they're never going to be an MVP. That call was amazing. Like that's not <laughs> going to happen. It's just expected that they do their jobs right and they don't get any credit for that. That's just the standard. And if they mess up, well, then they're the worst people ever. So I acknowledge that. That being said, like I thought they did a good job in this game for most of the game. They were letting them play. Like I think everyone should want to see. But then at the end of the game and a key spot on the third down and goal that we all saw, Logan Wilson makes a great play and it's defensive pass interference. And that kind of decides the game at that point. Now, of course, the Rams still could have gone for it and fourth down and maybe they get it. Who knows? But I would have liked to see that because to me, there's a difference here and everyone's going to be like, oh, what about the Jalen Ramsey face mask penalty that you already talked about? I get that. 
that should have absolutely been a penalty. But to me, there's a difference between a missed call because sometimes you don't have an angle. You can't see everything perfectly like that stinks, but that can happen. And difference between that and inventing a flat, like I don't know what they possibly saw on the Logan Wilson pass breakup that said that was pass interference. Like, I don't know what you could have seen from that play. Like that was they a called it holding. They called it defensive holding, uh, holding, holding defensive holding. I, I just don't see what they could have seen there. Like, I think that was an invented penalty. Like it, it came out of nowhere. And to me, I think that's a lot less forgivable and just going against the kind of ethos of the game, which was let them play. Like, why would you call that in that moment? It just doesn't like match up with what they were doing all game long. So I think that's pretty disappointing. See, I disagree. People automatically assume that because they didn't throw a lot of flags early in the game, that they were doing a good job. That's not the case at all. Missing that call on that Higgins play is a huge play in the game. That's a 75-yard touchdown. Like, that is a massive, massive thing. But people have a lot more tolerance for missed calls like that, penalties that are not called, than they do for bad penalties that shouldn't have been called. It's not like the ref is sitting there thinking, I haven't thrown a penalty yet. I'm going to interject myself in the game. No official wants to do that, right? But they thought they saw a foul. And remember, we're watching in slow motion, right? These guys are watching in fast motion. It's fast as hell. They're also trying not to get killed while they're out there on the field. Like, was it a bad call? Yeah, probably. Was it the worst call ever? No. And I totally disagree, and I always will, with the mentality of, you have to keep your flag in your pocket at the end of the game. That is so ridiculous. If people break the rules, you throw the flag. And I'm sorry. They threw the flag. Okay, great. That didn't decide the game. We don't know if the Rams would have scored on fourth down. Also, Cincinnati had chances to stop them. Also, Cincinnati had the ball back with plenty of time at the end of the game. So, like, what are you really mad at? That's what I don't get. I think people just, they like the story better of, well, Cincinnati stopped him or or the Rams scored without, you know, anything from the officials. And I think that's what people are really mad about. The story is not as good because of the penalty. Well, it definitely feels cheap, though. Like, you can say all that, but does that feel, like, incredibly deserved? Like, it, it feels cheap. It feels cheap at the end of the game. Logan Wilson made a great play on that play, by the way. Like, there was it was a really good play, and it was turned into a really big positive for the Rams. And that just kind of, like, sucks. I think that, that's really unfortunate. And it is what it is. You know, there are bad calls, whatever. I get that. But... Also, should mention, on that same play, and I know you tweeted about this, there's a big missed false start on that play. which Massive. That's not like the first time that's happened. That happens, I think, actually a decent amount. So I'm not going to like say this. But like, that's more egregious, right? But okay. it, they, they didn't throw the flag, so people tolerate it. But that was 100% a false start. But nobody both, cares, right? No both one's saying, of the tackles really jumped right. like way before, and I, and I was looking at it too. I was like really looking, replaying that, and seeing like when the ball was actually snapped, and Andrew Whitworth and the right tackle are like already a couple steps back into their drop. It felt like so. So yeah, um, it's unfortunate that uh, it happened. I, I do absolutely do think the refs deserve an LVP point here. So I can do it. You don't have to agree stats, but I'm allowed to do. I'm Mister Super Bowl. I can do it. <laughs> you're this this has like serious like mr fantastic fantastic four vibes to it you know like look at the rest of the fantastic four they're all called what they do except for the guy that stretches because there's no cool nickname for a guy that stretches so he calls himself mr fantastic that's you with this mr super bowl garbage i can stretch i'm pretty tall i'm pretty long so that's true there we go All right, let's take a break. When we come back, there are nine new head coaches in the NFL. We finally know where everybody is. 
the carousel has stopped. The music has stopped. So we can now power rank them and we will do that when we come back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Back here on the Off Day Debrief BLG. All right. I said earlier in the show that I was going to get an answer to the question of what happens if the Bengals come back and win in Super Bowl 56 because they vote for the MVP before the two-minute warning. I have reached out wow. to my sources, and I have an answer. The answer is when you vote originally, you give an either-or. Mm. So you just write, if Cincinnati wins, I vote for this person. If the Rams win, I vote for that person, which is insane, right? Like that makes no sense to me. Because what if somebody, what if like Joe Burrow completes that pass on fourth down, right? I don't even know who he was throwing to. Let's just say it was Tyler Boyd. And Tyler Boyd breaks 20 tackles, scores a touchdown, and you're like, damn, that person's the MVP. But you already voted on this other random Bengals player who was not going to be the MVP two minutes ago. Like that is such a flawed system. Uh, thanks to Florio for giving you the credit. It was uh, not Florio. Oh, okay. It was one of my favorite people in all of football, Shereen Williams, who Whoa. does work for Pro Football Talk. Mother okay. football, as she is sometimes referred to. Uh, one of the best, most accomplished people in the media. I love Shereen Williams, so thank you very much. I was considering giving Tyler Boyd an LVP point, by the way, because that drop on third down uh in the second half was pretty big um not enough to earn it but uh kind of like a dishonorable mention but it's time stats to rank the nine count them nine head coaching hires like more than a fourth of the league that's kind of crazy it, i it seems like more than usual um but i look at all those and i'm like yeah probably every single one of those should have changed head coaches so i, I kind of get it um, do we, do you think we should list all the new head coaches first, or do you just want to get into this? No, we got to get into this right now stats. And I think we, as we usually do, kind of got to start at the bottom, right. Okay. And then work towards the top. Got to build the suspense. People are listening to this podcast stats on the edge of their seats. Um, and with that being said, I think the very bottom fake is a consensus and it would be Lovey Smith. 
And it's not like Lovey's fault entirely. I think that he's in this spot. Obviously, it was a really not great situation in terms of the Brian Flores element to this all. Um, but just like Lovey Smith, man, like what about his track record recently suggests? Yes, like this is definitely the best candidate possible in the year 2021. Like it might be the best candidate that the Texans can get because of a lot of <laughs> things going on there. But I don't know. I, I, I just, I think this is a, this is a tough sell to me. It's so bogus. We all know who the Texans want to be their head coach. They want Josh McCown. They, they clearly have, they've interviewed him two years in a row, despite the fact that he has no experience whatsoever outside of his playing career. I mean, I just, is there any doubt, BLG, that Lovey Smith is going to coach for a season, get fired, and then Josh McCown is going to become the head coach? Like, is there any doubt in your mind? To me, it's clear that that's what they're doing. I mean, it would have to be like Lovey Smith maybe wins like 10 games, you know, some kind of like really unrealistic, huge, and like a playoff game or something. And it, like he basically forces them to not be able to do that. Like, and, like he just wouldn't be able to sell that at all. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a shame. Um because it's like a joke of a situation. And again, it's not necessarily Lovey's fault. And I think like he's in a bad spot because like what can he realistically do with that team? I think he can, you know, maybe keep them a little bit more competent than expected. But given with what he's working with, it's just it, it's a tough one to sell to me. Yeah, there's no excitement. Like part of getting a new head coach is like hope, right? Like, hey, this is this could be something different. Look at the Rams when they brought in Sean McVay, like Zach Taylor, all this stuff. What is your hope with Lovey Smith? It's just not there. I'm sorry. It's a terrible hire by them. It's just, it's so transparent what they're doing. And the fact that they think that like they're getting one over on all of us, is just makes it even worse. So number nine, I agree with you. Lovey Smith. Number eight on my list. I have Dennis Allen for the Saints. Hmm. Not, Dennis Allen is a great defensive coordinator. He absolutely is. But I have been pounding this in people's minds. It's not the same job. It's a much different job as a matter of fact. So to say that someone should be a good head coach because they've been a good coordinator for a while, it's that's not the measuring stick. And by the way, we've seen Dennis Allen as a head coach before. It did not go well. So if I'm a Saints fan, especially like you've had all these years of great offense with Sean McVay, and here comes Dennis Allen, and I'm just like, really? Like, that's the best we can do? The Saints have a good roster, and I just think that they're rewarding Dennis Allen for doing a great job on the defense when they're promoting him to a totally different position. When's the last time the Raiders won a playoff game stats? Jeez, I don't even know. When is the last time the Raiders won a playoff Wasn't game? Wasn't it during like their Super Bowl run in 2002 or whatever? It's like, it's been a long time. Not so, great. and the fact that you can't answer that is like kind of speaks to my point here. Did they, did they win one before the tuck rule game? I don't, that's beyond me stats. I can't uh, even remember. Yeah, but you're right. The fact that I can't remember is an indictment of them. So, I'm willing to give Dennis Allen a bit of a pass for being saddled with an organization that clearly doesn't know how to have success in a lot of ways. Um, I will give him some forgiveness there. And I was talking up Dennis Allen as a head coaching candidate during the season, specifically after the game where the Saints shut out Tom Brady and the Bucks. I thought that was really impressive. And like you said, there's no doubt Dennis Allen has been a really good defensive coordinator. I think that experience his previous head coaching experience has enough in the rear view window that he may have changed since then and being around sean payton i think there's some value in that and kind of learning from him and i think he's going to have some strong offensive ideas there now 
again, the situation is tough for him with the roster and the lack of quarterback and the caps, like all that, all those issues. So I acknowledge that. But I actually think Dennis Allen is a good head coaching candidate just because um, I think he's been able to grow from this. I think while not totally indicative of how he can be as head coach, I think you have to give him some level of credit for how strong his defenses have been. I think there's something to be said for um, his ability to coach. And it's not just like, I think he's had this amazing scheme in New Orleans. I think you've seen a lot of young players under Dennis Allen get better. So I think there's something to be said for player development there. Um, I'm, I'm way higher on him than you are. This is the task though, right? Dennis Allen is great. I don't know off the top of my head who they got to be their offensive coordinator. But whoever it is, if the Saints have a good offense in two years, Dennis Allen's going to have to find another good offensive coordinator because that's just how it works. Those good offensive coordinators get promoted. They get jobs. I mean, you're really banking on some massive, massive changes. Dennis Allen was 8-28 and 28 in three years with the Raiders. Mm-hmm. So he's got to be a hell of a lot better than he was with the Raiders if he's going to succeed. Um, and I just I don't see it. I'm sorry. I, to me... I don't love it. And I, what does he bring to the table? I think the Saints can still have a strong identity, at least defensively, and be a tough team. Obviously, they have to figure out the quarterback thing, and that's not all on him. It's, it's you know, he's part of the equation. But, like, if they give him some kind of decent quarterback to work with, I think they can make it work and kind of be – I don't think there's going to be a huge drop off necessarily is what I'm trying to say from what they were this year, even though they're losing Peyton, I think they can keep enough of it. It's just about figuring out the quarterback. I actually have him at number three on my list, which again, yeah, well, (laughs) I was talking him up again before. This isn't like, you know, me coming up with this now I'm staying true to what I said before Mm -hmm. Um, in my number eight spot. I have Josh McDaniels and now, maybe this seems a little... What? Yeah, how can you have McDaniels there if you're going to count on Dennis Allen to make this life-altering you know, improvement as a head coach and then have exactly. Josh McDaniels down at number eight? It's a fair question, but I think I think Josh McDaniels in Denver, which the Broncos haven't been you know, like the bastion of success necessarily in you know, like more recent history outside of having Peyton Manning, but like... I think they're more competent than the Raiders. And also Josh McDaniels was easily much more of a disaster as a head coach than Dennis Allen in terms of like some of the stuff that went on and like clashing with players and everything. Like some of that stuff was was terrible. And I think there is a chance that Josh McDaniels comes in here and he has been distanced enough from his first head coaching stint that he has legitimately grown. Uh, I, I, I allow that. He is kind of, to me, a boomer bust candidate, but the bust potential I think here is huge. I think it, it's, it's, but there is a potential situation where he hasn't really learned, or he's in this spot with the Raiders where he's going to have a ton of power and too much and being too involved, like he was in Denver. And this thing goes really wrong. So um, maybe he can overcome it. I'm not going to say it's impossible. I'm not going to like Urban Meyer him and saying there's no chance, <laughs> you know, he's, he's automatic disaster. But the downside here is considerable. I think he he arguably has the lowest downside, obviously, except for Lovey Smith of all these coaches. See, this is funny. I actually had McDaniels at number three on mm. my list. I think that all of his problems are fixable. I was watching an episode of the Brandon Marshall podcast. I can't remember the name of it, which is terrible by me. Uh, and I can't remember the player that was talking about this. Again, terrible <laughs> by me. It was, a, it was a Denver Bronco under Josh McDaniels. And he said, I have never been more prepared for a game in my entire career than when I was 
when we had Josh McDaniels there. To me, that goes a long, long way. I think that all of McDaniels' problems can be fixable, right? Like, he was, for lack of a better term, a huge jerk as coach. Like, some of the fines that he would impose on guys and the things, like, he was definitely like Belichick trying to be that. I think that with some time, you can reflect on that and look back and be like, you know what? That was wrong of me. I shouldn't have done that. And I think that he will. So I, I'm banking on a big turnaround, too. I agree with you. But I think that if he doesn't sort of screw up the roster handling, that I think schematically and from a preparation standpoint, he's still one of the best in the league. I mean, the Patriots hired him right back. I think they hired him the same season he got fired, as a matter of fact, which I hated. Um, and that, you know, the Patriots are not known for hiring bad coaches. They don't make good head coaches, but they still have good coaches. So I had Josh McDaniels at three on my list. They don't make good head coaches. Just keep that in mind. Um, uh, we can move up to number seven stats, and I have Matt Eberflus, who mm. I guess some people are calling just Flus. Uh, this is kind of one where I just like don't have a ton to say. Like, it's are you familiar with the word cromulent stats? <laughs> what? That's you don't not know that a, word? You made that up. No, or, come on, stats. This is a terrible job by you. Speaking of things you don't remember or references, maybe you don't understand. Um, I think this hire kind of reminds me of Jay Gruden in Washington. Like they made this hire when Washington made that hire. Everyone was like, you know, it's fine. You know, it's 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 not bad. It doesn't look obviously bad, but it wasn't super exciting. And the Jay Gruden in era in Washington wasn't super exciting or really that memorable. And I think that's what this potentially could be. Everyone seems to have great things to say about Eberflus. Uh, Eberflus. I can never say his name right. You know, obviously the Colts had some good defenses and everything. I just, I don't totally agree with everyone that's like, how could they not hire an offensive guy? Because you have to get Justin Fields right. And I agree that that would be nice to do to get him right. But I don't think that necessarily means you have to hire an offensive guy. Like Justin Fields should not be your only focus. Like that should not necessarily be tied to him at all costs. Um, Hire the best coaching candidate, period. I don't really know what. Flus does here that makes me like why should I be excited on him about him well the one comment he made that excited me because it to me it speaks to the fact that he understands that he's in a different job like I've talked about he said he's not going to call defensive plays because it takes away from his responsibilities as a head coach he said I do believe that to be the head football coach and be efficient at that you are exactly the head football coach I like that from Iberflus I really really do to be honest with you because shows me that he understands that his primary thing is going to be managing the roster and game management, managing your timeouts, managing your, you know, how aggressive you are on fourth down and things like that. I like that from him. So that's encouraging to me. But other than that, I don't know anything else about him, to be honest with you, other than the fact that his last name sounds like a Dr. Seuss musical instrument. And the fact that nobody has pointed that out to me seems a little weird. Dr. Flus. Um, so who do you have at number seven? Uh, seven on my list is Mike McDaniel for the mm. Dolphins. Wow, your guy. Yeah, no, see, but again, like, he doesn't strike me, and, and maybe this is just bias, but, like, he doesn't strike me as a guy that can come in and command the room. Hmm. First of all, physically, he looks kind of like me. He's not very big. <laughs> He's, he doesn't That's have a, a ton of muscle. Right? No, it's not a compliment. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. 
he doesn't seem to me to have a commanding presence. If you watch even that little clip online where he's talking with Tua Tungavailoa, it just, and I know it's kind of a forced situation and stuff, but it, I don't know. I just don't have a good feeling that that guy can walk in front of a room of NFL players and command the room. Also, he's very, he's going to give great press conferences. He's, he's very funny, but not all the jokes land and it can get kind of awkward at times. And I just feel like that can come across as a guy that's kind of trying too hard. I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to be a disaster at all. And and Mike McDaniel is a great, great game planner and run designer. Um, but I just don't, he doesn't fill me with a ton of confidence. I think I would be more surprised if it worked than if it failed. I am a little higher on him than you have in my number four spot. I just think you look at the success that the 49ers were able to have offensively with such a limited quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. And obviously McDaniel was part of that operation. And I think, okay, maybe the Dolphins can actually kind of have some success around Tua. Maybe. Um, I think what you're saying about McDaniel and his personality and everything, I actually go the other way on that. And I think it's authentic and I think there's a there's value in being loose. Like the like I think a lot of times you, you there's a fine line there and maybe you kind of worry about things not be taken seriously enough. But like a, a big reason why to me, as I always bring up the Eagles and shoe shoehorn them into the podcast, <laughs> the twenty seventeen Eagles were so great is they were loose. I just remember them dancing around before the NFC championship game. Like they, they never took things too seriously. And I think maybe that's kind of important. And it also kind of just fits the vibe probably of Miami. Um so I actually I'm a little bit higher on Mike McDaniel than you are I have him at number four. Okay. Um the, the he will be loose and you're right about authenticity for sure. Like he is authentic. Um, yeah, maybe I have them a little bit too low. You kind of convinced me there, but I'm keeping them uh, at number seven. All right. Number six on my list, Kevin O'Connell for the Minnesota Vikings. And to be honest with you, I think I gave him a little too much credit. I actually like the Vikings roster. I don't think it's a bad roster by any stretch of the imagination Except for the quarterback. Again, he's not <laughs> terrible. You could do a hell of a lot worse with your quarterback than Kirk Cousins. I like that they finally have an offensive guy there in Minnesota. To me, the, the strength of the team is clearly the offense. Let's lean into that. In my lifetime, when the Vikings have been the best that they have been, it's when they had an offensive head coach and Dennis Green there. And I think that you put Cousins in that kind of similar Shanahan-McVay kind of a system. I think he can thrive. I think that this could help with the Justin Jefferson situation. I think Justin Jefferson is, you know, frustrated in Minnesota. The division is ripe for the taking, especially if Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay. I mean, that division is wide open. So I, I put uh, O'Connell at six. I have O'Connell at five. Uh, part of the reason I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt is, you know, you just look at the Sean McVay ex assistance and – They've all done pretty decently. So, like, I think there, there's something to be said for that. Doesn't guarantee success. I don't love how Kevin O'Connell has ties to Kirk Cousins back in their time in Washington when he was their quarterback coach. And I guess it seems like you're really doubling down on Kirk. I don't think that's the great approach to have, but it seems like that's what they're doing. So I have him middle of the pack here. I don't feel super strongly about him either way. Again, I'm just kind of giving him some benefit of the doubt over the lower guys just because of the, uh, the McVay factor. Um, McVay, I don't believe in him as a head coach. 
uh, obviously for reasons we talked about earlier, but his assistants have obviously done well. So I will allow that. Um, my number six actually is Nathaniel Hackett, who, I mean, <clears throat> I think I could put him down even lower, but the fact that he might get Aaron Rodgers to come with him is like, he is kind of elevating him just a little bit, but, but above the lowest guys on my list here. But if he doesn't get him, <laughs> then I, I don't know. Like, I don't really know. Like, it's, it's really hard to separate, right? It's, it's really hard to be like, Nathaniel Hackett can come in and have success with quarterback who if it's not Aaron Rodgers in Denver <laughs> like it's it's really kind of hard to place him I think in these rankings like if he has Aaron Rodgers sure um, but that's a big if I kind of like the move by Denver Denver's kind of like you know what screw it we're going all in for Aaron Rodgers we've got a good offensive team like a really solid offensive pieces here if we can get Aaron Rodgers we're Super Bowl contenders so let's just do everything we can to do it because if they get Aaron Rodgers and they win a Super Bowl, even if Rodgers plays there for two years and then they stink after that, like it's worth it. It's worth it for you if you're the Denver Broncos. So screw it, man. Go all in for it. If it doesn't work, at least you can say, hey, we did everything we can to try and get this done. And if it fails, it fails. OK, but you you're not going to be able to say we didn't try hard enough. I actually had Hackett at number four on my list. So then who was your number five? Uh, Eberflus was five for me. Okay. So then we're up to, where are we at here? Three. Well, three for me. Yeah. Because uh, I, I already talked about McDaniel. Yeah. So uh, I hack it at six, O'Connell at five, McDaniel at four, which brings me up to three. I already talked about Dennis Allen. You talked about your number three, Josh McDaniels. So really, that brings us up to the top two. So we have the same top two here. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you can't. And I think I know your number two because I think it's my number two, and that's Brian Dable with the New York <laughs> Giants, right? It is. Yes. I think Dable is a good head coach. I don't know how you can look at his time in Buffalo and not give him credit for the development of Josh Allen. Now, all the credit? No, no. But a huge, huge chunk of it has to go to Brian Dable. I like that the Giants, they're going to say, hey, we think we have our quarterback, and we are bringing in a guy who has shown – that he can take somebody and really make some big improvements with them. And they're going to need big improvements from Daniel Jones. If they're going to stick with him, I wouldn't stick with Daniel Jones, but I, I can understand the thinking from the giants. And we're talking about an organization where I have not been able to say that in recent history. And I love BLG that he got wink Martindale to come over and be his defensive coordinator. That is a huge get for them. I don't think the giants defense is terrible, I think they have some solid pieces there, and I love Wink Martindale because I think he's going to be able to get all the juice out of that orange there and make them as good as they can be. And that coaching staffs matter, and the construction of a staff matters. I give Brian Dable huge points for that. To me, that's why I have him at number two. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the key points there. Uh, I've said a lot, especially on the NFC's mixtape with RJ Ochoa, which we record every week on all four SB Nation NFC East podcast feeds um, that I don't think Daniel Jones is a guy that like, I'm not like in on him, but I don't think he's a lost cause. I think there is some level of hope for him, especially if you hire Brian Dable, like, okay, because if, if Brian Dable can't make it work, then okay, then Daniel Jones is probably just a lost cause, but let's see what he is with this guy since you're, you're going to commit to him anyway. And yes, I think you touched on a key point there with his coaching staff. 
in addition to hiring Wink Martindale's defensive coordinator, got Mike Kafka as his offensive coordinator. Kafka, who was getting some head coaching buzz in the past and has obviously gotten a lot of attention for his work in KC. Um, so I think there are some interesting things that he has going on there. And uh, even looking at some of his assistants, Mike Groh was a really good wide receivers coach for the Eagles. Didn't do as good as offensive coordinator, but like had <laughs> saw career year for like Nelson Aguilar. Um, they have who else on their coaching staff? Um, longtime Vikings defensive line coach Andre Patterson. Like they have some good names on that coaching staff. And I think RJ and I both have admitted on the mixtape that we don't necessarily we're not like scared of the Giants all of a sudden. They have a long way to go to kind of earn that back. But mm-hmm. we at the very least, we think they're like headed in the right direction for them, which would be the wrong direction for us. We think they they have some level of hope there. And uh, I think you know, Dable brings a lot. I mean, think about the head coaches they've had, like Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, Joe Judge. Like those guys, yep. from the moment they were hired, no one was like, oh, these are this, these are guys with credibility. No, like a lot of people thought those were jokes of hires or at least had, you know, some major concerns. And with Dable, that's not the case. That's not to say he's going to be amazing for sure. But at least you're like, okay, this is a, a candidate with some juice. Like we can be excited about this. A few weeks ago, the head coach of the Giants said, this is not a clown show. He was wrong. But the New York Giants right now are not a clown show anymore. They're not a joke. Because even if Daniel Jones doesn't prove to be the guy, I have faith in Dable to bring in a guy that can win some games with his next quarterback selection. So I I agree with you. I would not be happy about this if I rooted for a team in the NFC East. And that brings us to our number one choice, a guy that used to coach in the NFC East, a guy you're very familiar with, BLG, Doug Peterson to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You and I talked about it. Like, why isn't this guy getting more love from people as a head coach? He has a Super Bowl ring. To me, I love that they have paired him with Trevor Lawrence because you had Urban Meyer there before, and it was almost like you were working against Trevor Lawrence. Like you were doing everything you could to make him not successful as a quarterback because you had Urban Meyer and you had Daryl freaking Bevel as your offensive coordinator who was holding Russell Wilson back in Seattle. So I love that they get Doug Peterson now in Jacksonville. I think he's going to bring that loose, aggressive style to the Jags, which if I were a fan of them, that's exactly how I would want them to play. Peterson is going to put the ball in the hands of Trevor Lawrence. He's going to sink or swim with him. And that's all you want if you're a Jags fan, because you supposedly have the best quarterback prospect in a decade on your team. So you might as well sink or swim with that guy. I think it's a tough spot for Doug in terms of you have to worry about the ownership and, and Trent Baalke, as you know, being there. Like that's Those are factors that I don't love for Doug's situation. But as far as what Doug can control, I think there's reason for excitement when you look at his track record with the Eagles, obviously the Super Bowl stands out, but so does the fact that like what they did after that in terms of the couple seasons after that, like they had some bad starts in 2018 and 2019, but they were able to rally back. Doug is very much proven that when things are going wrong and guess what? It's Jacksonville. So things are going to go wrong at some point. It's not going to crater. It's not going to snowball. He's not going to be out on the weekends being caught, um, you know, in a bar, like Urban Meyer was or whatever, like Doug is going to bring some level of stability and credibility to this organization, which they have sorely lacked a team with like what one six win season uh, or, or one season with more than six wins in Shad Khan's ownership. Um, I don't love necessarily his entire coaching staff. I think some of the there's question marks there. And that was a big criticism of him as he continued in Philly that he wasn't really able to kind of 
both build and maintain. He was able to build one originally, although he had help from the Eagles front office, but wasn't really able to kind of keep bringing in these big names on the coaching staff. So I think there are some reasons for concern there. But um, when you look at Doug Peterson's worst season in Philly, which obviously was his last 2020, there's a lot of like circumstances there that you can kind of forgive, right? Like pandemic year, uh, just burnout from kind of being in a situation clearly where he was they probably didn't have the proper amount of spec for a Super Bowl winning head coach and constantly was being like undercut by the GM and ownership and everything. And they're winning games. And the owner is like, well, why did you run the ball so much? And it's like, well, we just won the game. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and also, how about Carson Wentz, the Carson Wentz factor? Because everyone, or at least a lot of people, wanted to put a lot of blame on Doug Peterson for the Eagles 2020 season and not Carson Wentz. And guess what? How's Carson Wentz looking these days? Uh, you know, reportedly the Colts are going to trade or cut him after one year with him, even though Frank Reich was the magician who was going to fix him and everything. So I think Carson Wentz's stock tanking even further should absolutely, you know, be a credit to Doug Peterson. Be like, oh, well, maybe this guy wasn't so bad. And maybe if he actually had a quarterback who was coachable, that Eagles 2020 season wouldn't have been as big of a disaster. So uh it's kind of a weird situation in Jacksonville because they interviewed Doug early and they seem to have interest in him, but it seems like they went away from him or maybe he went away from them knowing the situation wasn't going to be great there with Balky and, and Shad Khan. But I guess because he had no interest elsewhere and because the Jags couldn't land Byron Leftwich or anyone else that it kind of just happened. It's like they both settled for each other. So that's kind of like a funny dynamic, but it might work out for them. I, I think at the very least, um, I, I don't know how good the Jags will be, but like, I'm pretty confident they will not be picking number one overall for the third year in a row. <laughs> That's kind of a low bar, but here, here's the thing. And I will tell people as someone that rooted for a team that general, that was general managed by Trent Balky, Peterson better win and he better win early mm -hmm. because the second it starts to go off the rails and there's adversity there, Trent Balky is going to, he has this amazing, it's like a superpower where he can cozy up to the owner and just like get his claws into the owner and convince him that he's not the problem, that the coach is the problem. He got Jim Harbaugh fired from the 49ers. Just Jim Harbaugh's worst season with the 49ers. His absolute worst season was eight and eight was 500. His other three seasons, they went to the NFC Championship game at least and, and also had one Super Bowl appearance. And he got Jim Harbaugh, well, not just him, to be fair. Jim Harbaugh had a part in that too. But he convinced Jed York that he should stay and the coach who never had a losing season with the 49ers should go. Mm -hmm. So that's all you need to know about Trent Baalke's superpower. So if Doug Peterson is going to work there, he's got to win and he's got to win early. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it's a great coaching hire. I think it's the best one of this cycle. I don't think the Jags are going to be picking first overall next year. Heck, they could be competing for that division. I mean, let's be honest. Sure. Who, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Carson Wentz, like you said, is probably going to get cut. He's not going to be the starter. So once again, Indianapolis is in the quarterback wilderness. And the other team in the division, who for some reason I can't remember right now, the Titans. The Titans. <laughs> The real competition in the division. But even then, I don't look at them as this insurmountable team, and I do not care that they were the number one seed in the AFC this year. They were clearly not the best team. So I love the, the move for the Jags, and uh, 
Good luck to Doug Peterson. Are you rooting for Doug Peterson as a as an Eagles fan, or are you rooting against him? Abs- anyone should be any Eagles fan. Absolutely, I think is. I mean, they're in like they're in the AFC. Like it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's not like you're they're uh, in the conference and they're this component now or opponent. Uh, now Doug will be coming to Philly. Stats. We don't know when, of course, we'll see when the NFL schedule comes out, but uh, the Jags will be playing at Lincoln Financial Field. I can't wait for that. Doug's going to get a big standing ovation, I believe. I mean, he should. The only Super Bowl winning head coach in franchise history. Like he, he I think he will, and he better. Um, so, yes, except for that game. Although maybe, uh, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if the Eagles lost that game because I think Doug, you know, kind of had an unfair exit in a lot of ways, maybe him getting revenge on the organization a little bit that kind of didn't give him enough credit could be a nice little moment for him. Um, but yeah, I will be rooting for Doug. Absolutely. I think the only way he gets booed is if he says something leading up to the game, like I'm going to show them they shouldn't have fired me or something like that. If he just plays it straight and you know, I love my time in Philadelphia. We had some success, blah, blah, blah. He should get cheered. Cause you're right. When this guy is the only head coach in the history of your franchise to deliver a title and with a backup quarterback, how could you not cheer him? And was a big reason why the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Like, like in that game, obviously, like coached really well, unlike Sean McVay when he won the Super Bowl. <laughs> See, it all comes full circle here. Okay, so your list, number nine, Lovey Smith, Josh McDaniels, mm-hmm. Matt Eberflus at seven, Nathaniel Hackett at six, Kevin O'Connell, five, Mike McDaniel, four, Dennis Allen, three, Brian Dable, two, Doug Peterson, one. Mm -hmm. My list is Lovey Smith, nine, Dennis Allen, eight, seven is Mike McDaniel, six is Kevin O'Connell, five is Eberflus, four is Nathaniel Hackett, three is Josh McDaniels, two is Brian Dable, and one is Jock Peterson. If you have any... Jock Peterson. Uh, Jack Peterson. Geez, I'm crossing over to baseball because pitchers and catchers were supposed to report today, but they're not because of the stupid lockout. Doug Peterson. Apologies there. Uh, If anybody has any problems with our list, hit us up. Leave a a question or a comment in your iTunes review, or you can hit us up on Twitter. I am at Stats on Fire. You are at Brandon Gowden on Twitter. I finally remember that after two years of doing a show together. Give me a little, uh, little credit, BLG. It was tough to remember. It's just my name minus my middle name because it doesn't fit. It's one character too long or one character too short. I guess the limit. Um, my name would, won't be one character too long. Also, if you do want to make your own ranking and tweet at us at those handles that stats just said there, you can do that and also use the hashtag podcast. Why not? There you go. I like that. I, I'm I'm a list guy. Like I love lists and rankings. I'm constantly ranking things in my head. Like my wife, it'll actually go a little nuts because i'll be like you know what uh, in conte that's in kanto that's got to be you know top three disney movie of all time she'll be like i don't really want to do this right now I, I can't turn it off so i'm a huge list guy enjoy your off season everybody we are not closing up shop as i like to say we will still be here for you in the off season there's still plenty to get to combines coming up in a couple weeks free agency obviously uh march 16th is the new league year so there's going to be a ton of really exciting stuff happening in the next couple weeks and we will be here for all of it enjoy your day and we'll talk to you next week we don't talk about bruno support for this podcast came from sas data is everything and now everything is data which means more to process more to analyze and now more than ever speed to answers matters 
So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.